This is Company, the podcast. I'm Sky Manson. Company is a podcast bringing together ambitious women from the bush, the cities and all over the world. And I think today's guest, Liza Ratliff, is one of all of these things. She's ambitious, she's from the bush, lives in the city and has a reach that's global. She grew up an only child in the small town of Barabar in northwestern New South Wales. And even in childhood, she was good at the hustle, writing letters to magazine editors and newspaper bosses to see if she could one day work for them. Well, it paid off. She's now the head of podcasts at Australia's leading women's podcasting network, Mamma Mia, working alongside the esteemed Mia Friedman. As a fellow podcaster and a lover of the world of magazines and media, I, needless to say, am fascinated by her story. So, as I usually do, I started at the beginning, in the Baraba days. I just wanted to know all about her town and what happens there. Baraba's a pretty special little place. Uh, if you drove through it, you would say that nothing happens in Baraba, but I beg to differ because... It's, it's the people and the stories and the community that make a small town and that's exactly what Baraba is. So I'm an only child and everyone is like, oh, what was that like? Were you lonely, you know, growing up, not around many kids? But I was always around kids my age because our neighbours were always over or we were always over at mates' places having barbecues or going camping. There was never a time in my childhood where I was alone. And I think that's really hard for city people to understand because to them, I grew up on a 4,000 acre property, not surrounded by anything and was an only child. So I must've been lonely, but it was, it was the opposite because I'm best mates with my parents. We had our animals. I had my horse. It was, I don't I suppose it was just like a childhood, like anyone growing up in the bush. It was just normal to us. Tell me about the Baraba School. So I was the third generation in my family to attend Baraba Primary School. Uh, and I made some of my best friends there. It was, you know, not very big, but it was full of great teachers. I did reading recovery because in kindergarten I had a lisp and I couldn't say my essence properly. And then I was a bit slow when it came to reading, which is quite funny because then I ended up becoming a journalist and a podcast producer. <laughs> but and it was just full of, uh, you know, it's a small country school. How, we, how small uh, was it? Was it a teeny tiny school or...? Not teeny tiny. I mean, Baraba's got around a 1,000 people, so there were probably... Oh, probably around a hundred kids there, but I, I couldn't say not from memory, maybe 80, but you know, it was big, big enough for us. So Baraba's got two schools. So there was the green school where I went to, and then the blue school, the Catholic school, <laughs> and we were arch rivals on the other side of the railway. Was it? Oh yeah, pretty much, pretty much <laughs> <laughs> on the other side of the hill. And what about farm life? What, what did you do after school? Well, after school, my mum was a vet nurse. She, she was actually trained as a beautician uh, and she had her own shop in Gundawindi, 
which is where she came from. But when she met my dad and moved to Baraba, she stopped being a beautician because she ended up with arthritis in her hands. So she was a stay-at-home mum until the 2003 drought and then we needed off-farm income. So she got a job as the local vet nurse because she was like, if I can cut uh, humans' nails, I can definitely cut animals' nails. (laughs) Um, So my dad was always there in the afternoons to pick me up and he'd either take me to swimming or he would uh, take me to netball training or we'd go home and I'd help him down the paddock or we'd just cruise around and watch some telly. But it was always met with... um, a packet of chips and awesome lollies and in summer a wee spa, which so is good. very nice. <laughs> I, I um, still do that. I do that now with my kids, you know, the ice cream is such a big part of after the after oh, school yeah. routine. Yeah. Especially in summer. <laughs> so it sounds like your upbringing at Baraba was pretty complete and that you were happy and did you? Oh yes. I loved it. I loved it. But, did you have big dreams of other things that you would become or were you contented in your space? Oh, you know, I think it's, it's, it's funny because I can remember what I wanted to be at the certain stages in my life. When I was around seven, we went over to Dubbo to the Dubbo bull sale and we stayed in a motel and I think it must have been one of the first times I'd stayed in the motel. And I was like, oh, I saw a receptionist at the motel and I was like, maybe what I want to be so then from like seven to nine I was definitely thought that I wanted to be a receptionist so I was like typing away on mum's old typewriter and being like yes I'll answer phones and do the books and this is what I want to be (laughs) so I dreamt very big at age seven and then I moved into wanting to be a vet uh timely because that's when mum started working at the vets and sometimes if dad couldn't pick me up after school I'd go in and we'd drain like all this bit gross but I used to love helping the vets drain the um, pussy ulcers from pig dogs. <laughs> <laughs> or I'd just Ew. help out doing random things. Yeah, really gross, but but fun. <laughs> they looked at me a lot. So I was like, right, I went to be a vet. And then in year seven, I went to boarding school in Tamworth at Cal Rossi. And that, that's when I decided that, oh, I, I think I like writing and I want to be a journalist. And I was kind of a nerdy freak kid. So I remember emailing the likes of Zoe Foster Blake and Kate Waterhouse and being like, how do I become a journalist? And they're like, read books. So I did. I read a lot of books. And then strangely enough, at 16, I remember picking up Mia's, Mia Friedman's book, who would go on to become my boss of many, many, many years. And I was like, man, she's so cool. One day I want to work for her. So from then I kind of from that age of around 13 14 I I was set on working in media and you made it happen and I'm so impressed by your um your hustle at at the age of at at a young age of hustle I know and I went on to um hustle some more when I was 15 and I got a week's long work experience at Cosmo in Sydney wow mum and dad just uh, not with Mia at the time. It was under Bronwyn McCann. So Mia had moved on at that stage but came down and, and mum and dad came down with me and we stayed in the city and that was like a big thing for us because Sydney wasn't really our holiday destination. We kind of always went to Queensland instead. Um, and I was like, man, this is where I want to be. Like, this is so cool. 
So, yeah, I did have a bit of a hustle, I suppose, but you don't think of it then. I think you and I are a little bit the same. Um, I, except my, the story of what inspired me to become a journalist is, is slightly different. I think in primary school, at the young age of maybe eight or nine, um, the headmaster's daughter came in and told us about her job and she was a journo at New Weekly and I just fell in love with it. I thought, oh, that would just, wouldn't that just be the coolest thing ever to work at magazines? And I think I was captivated by what I thought the workplace would be like and um, just really, really wanted to be a part of that. And I've never worked for magazines as it turns out, but um, ended up ended up a journalist and was so sure of what I wanted to do, which um, I feel like we're a little bit the same vintage is quite a, yeah. quite a rare thing. Was that the yeah, same? Yeah, I think so too. Use? Yeah, exactly. It was because from such a young, young age, I was set and I was determined and I just went and tried and was that annoying person who was sending everyone emails being like, can I have an internship? Can I be your work experience kid? Could I do this? Could I do that? And everyone else was just kind of cruising along and going to parties and I was the lame one who wasn't. And you were refining your pitch from the age of 13. Yeah, yeah. I was. I was. <laughs> so did you go to uni? Did you study? Yeah. So uh, I was at Carossi from year 7 to year 12 and they really helped me kind of make it happen, I suppose. They were a very supportive school. Um, and I got into UTS and I wanted to do journalism at UTS so badly, but I missed out on the course by five marks. Mm. So I did writing and cultural studies. So still a bachelor of comms, but just a bit different. And then that same year of, uh, getting into UTS in my first year at uni 2012, I got an internship at Mamma Mia in that August. So then I just really stuck around. <laughs> so within your internship, what was, what was your role? So back then it was purely a website, no podcast, no videos. And it was working in a tiny little office and it was literally like all my dreams had come true. And I'd go in every Thursday uh, for the first three months and then I just didn't leave. But I'd go in every Thursday and we'd be, you know, doing what, anyone in a very junior role does in media and I think is there's nothing wrong with it we get the coffees we'd clear the comments we'd answer the phones we check the emails you know we sometimes maybe get to write something but it wasn't a given it was something you had to work for and we had like back then in terms of internships they did kind of they'd get six people on so you'd have a little gang of interns with you and three of those six have gone on to become my closest friends who I still keep in touch with today which is just insane are they still in the media yeah one works at the Sydney Morning Herald and the other one works for Channel 9 so good and so Within journalism and the media, was it writing that you loved? Like, tell me about the transition that's taken you from writing into broadcasting, podcasting. Look, I always thought I wanted to be a writer and I think a lot of people can get stuck in that whole Carrie Bradshaw, oh, like Mm. once upon a time, it's going to be great. I'll write my thoughts and feelings. What I quickly realised at 19 is that I hadn't formed any of my opinions yet. 
and I wasn't strongly feeling anything about anything. I was just happy to learn. And a lot of my peers had a lot of opinions and were writing a lot of things and felt strongly about a lot of things. And I just wasn't there yet. And I think that was purely down to my age or maybe my upbringing in that I was just pretty easygoing and was just like, yeah, you know, that's bad, that's good, whatever. Don't really feel strongly about anything. I just didn't have that. So I wanted to write and I tried my hardest and I, I, uh, I got an editorial assistant role at Mamma Mia after my uh, internship and I worked really hard at that. I used to kind of run the websites on a Sunday back then when people did that. And then from there got a, a site coordinator role. So it was, you know, writing occasionally but loading the posts onto the website, doing the social media all that kind of stuff and then uh, kind of realised that I wasn't a strong enough writer as I, as I wanted to be or as I thought I would be. And I went to Mia one day and she was like, you know, I think by this stage they just launched Mamma Mia out loud in this glorious mess and were working on No Filter and I was also Mia's assistant slash junior writer. And I, I went and spoke to her and she said to me, I think you'd be really good in podcasts. And I was like, oh, I didn't realise there was a role in podcasts. She's like, no, no, but I think, I think that's where you'd be really good, you know. I think you'd have a good ear and I think you know what a good story is. I think we should move you into podcasts. And I was like, oh, yeah, I could do that. Because at that stage, the Mamma Mia podcast network were three shows and it was run by the fabulous Monique Bowling. And it was just her doing it all and she needed a hand. So I was kind of already trying to weasel my way in there with her anyway, trying to be like, do you need any help with scripts or is there anything I can do? And that November, that was, oh God, six years ago now, I moved into the podcast team and taught myself along with Mons and the uh, Sarah McDonald was working at Mamma Mia at that stage, how to edit. So they sat me down and they were like, this is how you use Audition, off you go. And then Mons was in Melbourne, so she would answer any of my calls whenever I had any issues, but I pretty much taught myself how to edit. And loved it straight away. What did you love about it? I loved the creativity that, that podcasting brought because, yes, it could just be a person talking about a certain topic but you could add layers you could add depth and it was a form of storytelling that that producers could be involved in you know I'd find stories I'd write the scripts I'd record it so you it was something you'd own end to end and I just loved it and I still to this day do the fact that you can craft a story that you can make someone sound better that you can be sit in someone's ears, something that you're producing, you know, the eyes are one thing, but to actually sit in someone's ears for a decent amount of time, that's really personal. And getting to do that every day is really cool. I and there agree. was the thrill of, you know, building the network and everything like that. It was just great. So how long have you been with Mamma Mia for now? So, well, if you count my hiatus, so I was here for seven years and then Last year, I got offered a job that I couldn't turn down. So I was managing producer of podcasts here at Mamma Mia, but was offered a head of audio job at Pacific Magazines. And that felt to me like my next step. So I took it 
and loved it for nine months, but then got made redundant when Pacific merged with Bauer. So then in, in uh, July this year, I, find, I found myself jobless and I was a bit like, man, no one's going to hire me. I've lost two really great jobs and what the hell have I done with my life? Because that was my first really big like pitfall, like no one wants you, you're redundant, that's it. And then somehow the stars aligned and, and there was an opening back here. And Mia said, would you come back? And I was like, bloody earth, I would. Mm. Because I, I feel such a strong connection to this network because I, I've helped build it since 2015. I've been here, like no filter. I was the first producer on that show. And the fact that, that it is now what it is it just blows my mind. Um, oh, my gosh. I have so many questions within that story. So tell me a little bit about working for Pacific Magazines and the head of audio there. Did you um, – how many podcasts have they got or do they not have any anymore? Well, they don't have any anymore. Bauer got rid of them all, so I think. Um, so I went there and they had around 15. So each brand had a podcast. And – they had just done it themselves. So they'd said, right, we need an audio strategy. Each brand needs to have a podcast. And I went in there and I just got to tinker and get rid of some and introduce more and, and, and have fun. But it was, you know, working in magazines had always been such a big goal, but I'd really missed, missed the, the kind of the end of it uh, because print really kind of ran out of time before I even got into the industry. But mm. to go and work with brands like Better Homes and Gardens and, and Girlfriend and Marie Claire and Men's Health and Women's Health, like the stuff, I, the thing is, the most annoying thing is I was only there eight months, so I feel like I didn't even get started really. Right. So I did a bit, I did a bit of tinkering and we launched a couple of new shows and we had some new seasons of shows, but... I could talk yeah. about this all day. Um, the question of what's your perspective, having been a big part of it, and Pacific Magazines and Bauer merging together on the consolidation that's occurring right now. And now you're part of Mamma Mia, which is an independent, you know, and you have been, and it's an independent that's um, been so successful. I'm so keen to hear your thoughts. Pacific was a great place to work and they had great brands and I think it was just such a shame that that's all gone out the window now mm. because all majority of my colleagues don't have a job anymore because of the merger. Their magazine's dead or they weren't kept on because of COVID or because of Bauer and I just think that there's the two beacons of Australian publishing their life have gone out now because I don't think by any means you can compare, I don't know, like the thing is I worked for Bauer for two days so I can't really say anything on that. Mm. But I don't know, I think it's a shame. I think the whole merger is a shame because a lot of good people lost their jobs. Yeah, and anyway, it will be interesting to see um, well, what do and what are your thoughts about the future and the new wave of media? I mean, there's still an appetite there for it. People still want to consume magazines, maybe now more so than especially, ever. Especially, I think so. Especially now more so than ever, and especially in regional Australia, big time. Mm. But 
I don't know how it's going to work. I don't think, I think that's where podcasts come in, to be honest. I think podcasts provide women across the country with thoughts, the thoughts and feelings that magazines once filled. I don't think there will end up being a space for magazines in people's lives anymore, purely because, one, half of them don't exist anymore, and, two, I, like, when you've got free content, really, when you're getting your podcast for free on your phone every day that they just fall into your lap, why would you go and pay five bucks for something that you can read online? Mm-hmm. Interesting. I still champion the tangible, you know, you, and also... Of course. And, like, the, specialty, the specialty magazines like Crazy Her, I think are amazing. But I'm talking about the the the, the, yep. the, the trashy Tabloids, mags, yeah. The tabloids. Yeah. I, um, and I love what you say. Let's talk more about podcasting and why it's so wonderful. I just think... There's, you cannot take away from um, the emotion in someone's voice and it's a bit less obtrusive than having to sit down and watch a movie um, or or a TV show. You can be multitasking, doing, doing whatever you want, but that's the captivating thing. And also um, you can be indulgent in the way that you can't in print. You know, you can just let the story go and go and go and go for an hour or 10 episodes if you like. That's it. Yeah, is that is that so? As the what does your role inclu- include as the head of podcast at Mamma Mia? So I oversee our close to now forty shows. All right. Um, yes, which is insane. So from managing the team to quality control to new ideas to commercial side of the business, I kind of do a lot of it. But I also executive produce No Filter and Mamma Mia Out Loud, which were my two babies especially no filter so I'm also it's it's really um, a big thing for me is to show to my team that I'm in it with them as well because that I was them six months ago nine months ago that was me so I have so much respect for a boss who sits down and and practices what what they preach and, and you know is editing as well as as doing everything else as well as going to a million meetings. And I think that was really important to me when I came back and took this job was that I had a show and that I was editing also because I bloody love it. And that's my creative outlet. And the storytelling and the, especially your no filter, I, I really just love it. I love no filter. Yeah. There's, it's Thank just you. amazing. There's it I, it just, it's one of my favorites. It's just it's great. And it's perfectly suited to me too. And I'm, you know, think about it often. I'm like, yeah, so the interviewer plays such a big part in the story too, don't they? Yeah. yeah. Big time. Yeah. Big time. So where are podcasts heading? I mean, what's, what's your perspective on that? Well, I think we can both say that they're heading, they're just going to be more and more and more. And I, I don't think that's a bad thing. So many people say, oh, God, there's just so many bloody podcasts. But you know what? There's a podcast for everything. There's a podcast for how escalators work. There's a podcast for pregnancy. There's a podcast for people sitting on a tractor. There's a podcast for someone who wants to know what it's like to have a baby. There's a podcast, I think I said that, there's a podcast for (laughs) someone who wants to know what it's like to have a toddler. There's a podcast for someone who wants to know what it's like to have a teenager. There's a podcast to know what it's like 
for someone to get married, to get divorced. There's podcasts for everything and people are consuming them for a reason. Podcasts are the future and they're really going to be a really big part of media in the future and for good reason because they're intimate but, and if you can build an audience around them, they're amazing. Mm. If you can, if you can have people who are as invested in the show as the people making it oh yeah building communities yeah it is that's exactly what it is it's building communities because a podcast isn't just something in your ears it's then something you're a part of on a facebook group or you follow on instagram and then you follow the host and then you get invested in their lives it's just a different form of storytelling Mm. will they always be free I think we, we're seeing that no. Mm. And I think it's like anything in media. Sooner or later, you're probably going to have to start paying for quality. Yeah. And you look at, at places like Luminary or, or even Wondery have podcasts behind the paywall and the Australian have done it with Hedley Thomas's new podcast. I think they will be free to a point, but costs money to make totally. podcasts. business is business yeah they business take a lot business. of time yeah they do yeah yeah it's it's um it's interesting um i'm keen to hear also from you about the appetite for country stories you're from the country you work in the city you lead such a huge podcast network um are people interested in these stories One of the biggest things for me when I took on producing Mamma Mia Out Loud three and a half years ago was that we shared stories from the bush and that we shared voices from the bush and that we heard other people's experiences because I think especially from the 2016 election with Trump, it became very apparent that people were in their bubbles in terms of beliefs and things and I think a podcast has the ability to kind of break a bubble, if you will, because it can provide uh, listeners' thoughts. And I, I think um, in 2017, when the drought was really, really bad at home, I was saying to me uh, and, and Holly Wainwright, our head of content and my fabulous boss, I need to go home for a bit because I've got to help mum and dad feed. I've got to be around because they, they need a break. They're not doing too well. And they're like, oh, like, we've heard about the drought, but what's it actually doing? So I went home and I took some videos and I got some Vox Pops and I came back. And me, it was like, we need to do a, a live show for drought beef. We need to go out there and and, uh, and we did. We, we partnered with Drought Angels and we went to Tamworth and we went to Dubbo. We did two live shows and we had um, 800 people in, during overall in those two live shows. And it, it makes me quite teary because mm-hmm. um, it, it just was so apparent that, that, that regional women are craving content, not necessarily for, like to reflect their lives but Mm. but almost to reflect their lives they want to be seen they want to be heard they want to be understood like any any woman in australia does and to see them show up and with their mates and and their mums and daughters and 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 my two aunties came in dubbo and my mum and my granny came in tamworth and it was just you know busloads of people coming from from two hours away and i was just like man this is 
the reach, this is a podcast that started in 2015, is now reaching all of these women across Australia. And that was only in New South Wales. And I just think, yeah, there's, um, in terms of podcasts for, for regional women and for telling regional stories, of course there's the market. But there's also a market for, for bigger podcasts to just say g'day and come and see us and make them feel seen. Mm. Yeah, I think um, my yeah, I'm interested in the in the question. I always ask it because is it uh, you, you often see that, or my experience is that um, there's podcasts about rural women's stories, mm. but um, it doesn't probably necessarily have to be like that. It could be no. that the mainstream and rural stories are should be interweaved in together, and yeah. there's still mainstream um, things occurring in in regional centers as well and exactly. it's not as polarizing as as that but you still don't really see mainstream media having a constant uh i don't know unearthing goods unearthing proper that's stories it. in the bush uh, yeah. and that's what i want to try and do and coming up on no filter we did an interview with uh shanna wan oh, from wow. narrabri who uh, runs sober in the country and she is just a top chick and it's stories like that that i just want to keep telling Yes, totally. Um, I sometimes I feel like a broken record, but I do always love to ask my guests how they get through the day and how they manage their days. What does a day look like for you? When do you I, rise? I sound so. I don't have kids, so I'm not that interesting. I literally get up, walk the dog, go to work, go home. That's my life. But I don't, I I don't, at, okay. I don't agree with that. I, <laughs> I rise at 5.30 if it's getting easier now because it's getting lighter in the morning, but I like to get up at 5.30 or 5.45 and I think that's just an old boarding school like habit that I formed then because the bell would always go off early. So good. And I'd like to get up before the bell so I could go for a walk. So get up around 5.30, 5.45 and then you, uh, we have a... Sorry to interrupt. Do you love that? Do you love early mornings? Is it an, an inherent yes, part of yes, you? Yes, yes, yes. Love early mornings, hate sleeping in. Feel like I've wasted the day if I'm up at eight. I'm like far out. Day's half gone. Love but it. that's because dad never let me sleep. Like I'd come home from holidays and he would be like, oh, I was never allowed to sleep in. And all my mates got to sleep in. And I'd be like, man, just want to sleep in. But now I thank him for that because up early, Walking the dog, sun's coming up, birds are chirping, and we live in Balmain, which is quite a nice suburban-ish part of Sydney, inner city. Um, there's lots of nice walks around there, and I like to go down to the water and, and you know, just feel a bit fresh. Get home, have a shower, wash my hair every morning. Don't know why, just do. Um, and then don't really do much else apart from get dressed, put my makeup on and make the bed. If my boyfriend Tim manages the pub so he sometimes does weird hours and will be asleep when I leave so I sometimes I don't make the bed and then come home and he hasn't made the bed but that's a different podcast um and then I'll hop in the car I'm driving into work at the moment because of COVID uh put on the quickie which is our daily news podcast which gets me into work in terms of the news of the day find out what's happening so they do headlines in a deep dive and that's around a 15 minute podcast and that's usually my commute in the car which is pretty good so then i'll park 
walk into the office. I like to get into the office early. So I'm in around 7.30 each day, uh, get my coffee, come on up, do my emails. And because I have a lot of meetings these days, I like to get in early so I can do my editing. So I'll, you know, whack the headphones on and edit away. And then I'm kind of in a blur of meetings until lunchtime bit more of a blur maybe a record of a podcast or two and then I get home around 6 6 30 most nights and I'll do dinner but probably lately it's been bad we've been doing lots of Uber Eats <laughs> oh if only I could do you exactly you... sound very smug saying that <laughs> are you disciplined in switching off from work no not at all but I don't mind that because after I was made redundant earlier in the year I missed my emails and I missed my slack messages and Mm. I like being on and I'm sure I'll get to a point where I don't like being on but at the moment I'm loving being back on and also even when I don't love it I still love it so no I'm really bad at the disconnect work follows me everywhere and that's fine with you so that's good I love it yeah um are you a coffee or a tea girl? Uh, coffee in the morning, tea in the afternoon. Nice. What time do you go to bed? Uh, ideally <laughs> around 9.30. <laughs> uh, sometimes 10, sometimes 10.30. If I go to bed at 11, I'm ruined for the next day. Are you laughing because it's too early or too late, 9.30? Uh, it's too early, really. Cause, <laughs> you know, for my parents, it's, it's late-ish. They go to bed around 9, 9.30 most nights. But for my boyfriend's parents, they stay up to like 12. So he does that. And obviously he works in a pub, so he may not get home till 3 a.m. some nights. Whereas the nights he's working, I will be in bed by 8.30 and very happy with my life. Yeah. Yeah, me too, sister. I, I love an early night. Love yeah. an early night. Unashamedly. Love bed. Couldn't think of anything better. Exactly. Um, any productivity hacks, little apps or anything that work quite well for you, managing different people, to-do lists? Are you a handwriter or are you all online? I did like having an – I have a notepad, always have a notepad, but that's in, used to be full of my lists. But now I've got this great app that my mate Jesse Stevens got me onto called – I'm looking at it, but it's not telling me the name – let me just see. Is it called Any Do? It's called Momentum. Ah, okay. So it's this new, it's just like a screen saver that when you open a new tab, you go directly to Momentum and it's got a little wanky inspirational quote down the bottom and you can type in what your main focus of the day is, but then it's got a list and little ticks next to it. So I have a very long list at the moment, but I like knowing that that's where it is each day because sometimes I'll, if I'm using my notepad, I'll go to a different page or I might write it in my notes, whereas this list is just all on my laptop and it's also on my home laptop and it's just really easy. How good. How do you wind down? Mm, I like to watch a TV show or read a book. They're beautiful. Not much, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's it. It's been so nice Wonderful. chatting it's so to you. It's lovely to talk to you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, thanks for thanks for coming on my podcast. I really do my appreciate pleasure. it, and um, we'll continue to to watch watch on your journey oh. with interest and yours, Sky, and yours. I think you're doing amazing things. Mm-hmm.
Thank you, Liza Ratliff, who recorded that interview in the Mamma Mia studios, where the likes of so many other wonderful stories have been told and aired. It was so great chatting with Liza, and I really think that her story is a proper country girl takes on goes to the city kind of story. I really love it. You can find her at Liza Ratliff on Instagram, and you can get in touch with me at sky underscore Manson at the same place, or via my website, mansonandcompany.com. I've been so buoyed lately by the surge in people signing up to receive my weekly newsletter. I'm so buoyed by this because I really, really love putting it together for you. And if you think you might want to get in on the action too, then you can put your name down on the website as well. Thanks for listening and talk to you again soon.